0: Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight, and our topic is this just in. Now what could that possibly mean in a Bible study? Surely everything about the Bible has already been known and covered for a long time now. We are coming up on Palm Sunday, and then next week is Holy Week with Good Friday and Easter and all that. And uh, so we're thinking about Jesus and his life in this world and his death. Uh, there's really no other figure on the planet that compares to Jesus in terms of you know, he's got to be like the most famous person on earth I think uh, when you think about the fact that the entire calendar shifted to you know his his dates and all that and and all the people who celebrate Christmas and all the people who celebrate Easter and this has spun off um just a tremendous kind of interest in anything we can possibly find out I mean even people who have no belief whatsoever in the Bible uh, or Christianity or what have you uh, would love to find out about the historical Jesus did it really happen who was he did he live you know is the gospel account accurate and People, archaeologists, have been scouring through, going through ancient dump sites and turning over old garbage to try to find any sort of hint of a clue about Jesus. Anything you could find out. People were very excited a few years ago when a sarcophagus came to light that looked like it had a Greek name in the genitive case, of someone who might have been Jesus's brother and everybody freaked out, you know, because this, wow, this would give us some information about, we just want to know anything we can get. People pour over these little scraps of rotten papyrus out of the sands of Egypt and try to interpret these three letters that are written on them to see whether we can find out any information about Jesus, if we could find out anything more about him. Especially when you think about the the stories that we get in the New Testament, we see him as a child, you know, a couple of stories from his early childhood. Then when he's 12, nothing in between there, and nothing between 12 and 30, just like disappears, all of a sudden comes onto the stage. And there's been all these rumors going around for thousands of years. But did he, you know, is the song right? Did his feet, you know, step on Old England's shore or whatever it says? And, uh, you know, did he travel around? Did he go to India? Did he study with some guru or something? You know, what, what was he doing during that time? And uh, so people have looked so hard going through, you know, goat-infested caves and digging into the worst, driest, most uninhabitable places on earth, trying to find any scrap of anything to tell us more about Jesus. How exciting would it be if you could find any scrap of anything, just one little, you know, hey, here's a sandal thong, you know, and and it would be such a tremendous discovery. And even more important would be if you could find out anything about the state that he was going through. How did he... You know, you see him when he's a a baby, he's just like any other baby. And then when he's 12, he's already kind of wise and precocious and talking about scripture and everything. And then when he's 30, he has all this healing power. And, well, wait a minute. What happened in between there? You know, that's got to be the most interesting thing you could ever possibly find out about. What did he go through? What was his psychological state? What was going on in his head? What was going on in his life? in those missing years. The world is desperate for a scoop. Well, this just in. There is an admittedly obscure book written in a foreign language that contains some of this missing information. This just in. Now, it is admittedly an obscure book. There are fewer, fewer than seven Fewer than 7 billion copies in existence, and it's only been translated into 2,500 languages of the 6,900 languages on Earth. So it's, it's in danger of, of disappearing from sight. Uh, it, this, this book, this obscure book only sells 800 million copies a year, so, so uh, this is precious information. What I'm driving at is that the, this book that contains this amazing information about Jesus' inner state is known to many as the Old Testament. Now, you would say, well, why, didn't, why doesn't the Bible tell us that it has information about Jesus in the Old Testament? If only someone had said it. Maybe we wouldn't be diving around in goat-infested caves and trying to decipher little scraps of a few letters on a piece of ancient parchment if we'd only known. Well, as we'll see tonight, the Bible does say again and again and again that the Old Testament is all about Jesus. It's amazing. But anyway, this just in, there's a tremendous wealth of information about Jesus' life, Now, it is buried in an obscure language, which is called the language of correspondences. Takes a little bit of a knack to start to read it and find your way around to all eternity. We won't exhaust all the wisdom that's in there. But still, it's a tremendous discovery and a very exciting thing to be able to announce. So would you be willing, good friends, to join me in an opening prayer? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we crave more information about you, about your life, about the state of your mind, about what you went through. Please open up the pages of your word. Be present among us, Lord, and open up the pages of your word so that we may know you, know your mind, know your heart, know the process you went through and what we stand to benefit from it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Very good to see you all, friends. I want to start with some depressing news, which is that we will not have a class next week. Uh, that's just because it's the holiest week of the year. So, you know, seemed like a good time to take take some time off. Uh, no, I have I, I have to be absent for another reason. Uh, so, no class next week. But hopefully, you can look at something if you go to SpiritAndLifeBibleStudy.com, which is our website. You can see archives of the over 250 episodes there. And if you look under the topics, uh, number two is, is a whole field. There are five basic topics. And number two is all about the Lord's first coming into the world. So if you want to find anything Eastery, you know, all of those would, would apply. All right, so this just in. Well, what, what do you mean? What do you mean that there's information in the Old Testament about Jesus? Let's look at some of this information. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, the third of the Gospels there. Let's see if we should start at 18 here. What is that? Okay, let's start at 18, verse 31 in in Luke. We're going to read some passages in the New Testament that say some things about the Old Testament.
1: Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And all this is
0: coming on toward the end of his life. He's going up to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified, and he tells his twelve disciples.
1: And all excuse me, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished.
0: Where For, did the prophets write about the crucifixion? I don't remember. Wouldn't wouldn't that be huge news if the prophets wrote about the crucifixion? Where did they write about, where, where, where was that? I don't remember that story in there. And yet that's what the Lord says. Right there in the literal meaning it says, oh yeah, the Old Testament, that's where the prophets are. You know, there's, there's the historical works and then there's the prophets. And uh, I mean the, the five books of Moses, you know. And, um, and it says that that's all about, all about the Lord. Okay, the, my favorite passage about this, and you're tired of hearing me talk about it, but I'm going to do it again. Luke chapter 24 is after his resurrection. So this is after Jesus was on the cross. This is a good Easter Monday type of topic. And um, he's walking on the road to Emmaus with two people who don't recognize him. And they say, look, let's look at verse 18 there in Luke 24.
1: Then the one whose name was Cleopas, Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days?
0: Yeah, because he had just said to them, So why, why, are, you, why are you guys so sad? <laughs> and they're like, Are you the only stranger around here? You don't have a clue of what just happened? And so he says to them, which I love it, go on.
1: And he said to them, What things?
0: Now don't you love it? This is divine truth, but he's a little cagey, isn't
1: he?
0: <laughs> but like he knows exactly what happens from the inside out. Just what, what do you what do you mean? Well, what, what things? What a great question. So they explained to him about how there was this Jesus. He was a prophet, mighty indeed in deed and word. And we thought he would be the one to redeem Israel. It says in verse twenty one, but uh, but he didn't. But then we were surprised because we heard that there was something about this resurrection. And uh, and then this stranger who moments ago hadn't heard anything about it says in verse 25,
1: Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken.
0: What does he mean? There it is again. What is he saying? He's saying, well, didn't you read the prophets? The Old Testament prophets were all about this. Well, wait a minute. I don't remember a cross in there or... Nails or like like what, what are you talking about? Go on.
1: Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory?
0: Mm, enter into his glory. That's the glorification. Uh, and, and it's amazing. one moment he's playing ignorant and then the next moment he's calling them fools and slow of heart, which is such an amazing sort of thing. You know Don't you believe what the prophets wrote? Didn't you get that, that Old Testament thing all about how there was going to be this crucifixion? And what does he do?
1: And beginning at Moses and all the prophets. That's
0: five books of Moses and all the prophets. And by the way, in the uh, Hebrew scriptures, the prophets were uh, included Joshua, Judges, 1 and 2 Samuel, First and 2 Kings. They were called the former prophets. And then the things that we know as the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on, were considered the latter prophets. So really the five Mm. books of Moses and the prophets covered, that's the law and the prophets. It really covers the whole deal pretty well. So go on, beginning at Moses. Beginning
1: at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself.
0: Now this is just torture because if you're interested in, in, in stuff about Jesus, you want to know what it is. What an amazing opportunity to be walking along with there be one of two people on the planet who are hearing it. Apparently it takes about three hours to walk to a Emmaus or something, like That the, the way they were going. It's about a three-hour journey. So to get sort of a two and a half or however long it took to get into the conversation, you know, they, they get like hours of exposition of how everything in the prophets and in the five books of Moses, all those laws, the tabernacle, the wandering of the children of Israel, you know, all of that was entirely about, now what do you mean? It was all about Jesus? The whole Old Testament was about Jesus? We don't know this. We we look for a name on a sarcophagus or some scrap of paper or something. Wait a minute, the whole Old Testament is about Jesus? We don't know this yet. Do we? We, we don't know this. We, we don't know what that means. So uh, and then you know how he breaks the bread and They recognize him and he vanishes. Look at verse 32.
1: And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us?
0: Yes. You see, a scripture is something that needs to be open. There's this rumor going around Christianity since 1906 when someone invented it in Princeton, this biblical literalism. There's been a rumor going around that it's flat as a pancake and there's nothing in there. Nothing to see here, people. Move along. Uh, But that's not what Jesus said. He said, you know, the scriptures, you need to open them. And what happens when you open the scriptures is that you see Jesus in there. The whole thing is about him. Isn't that what it said in in Moses and all the prophets that he expounded to them in all the scriptures? It's not like, well, there is that one story, you know, like the sacrifice of Isaac that never quite happened or something. No, the the whole thing is about nothing else if you open it up. Okay, so then they do a three-hour walk and go right the way back to Jerusalem and find the other 11 gathered together. And then they're talking about what just happened and how they recognized Jesus when he was breaking the bread. And verse 36.
1: Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them mm. and said to them, Peace to you. But they and so, were, so they
0: obediently felt peaceful.
1: But they were terrified and frightened and oh. supposed they had seen a spirit. Oh, I see. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have.
0: Yeah, so it seems like the first thing he needs to get across is the first time he's appeared to the the disciples after his resurrection. First thing he needs to get across is I still have a physical body. It's the same body, you know, I rose with my body. And he goes on to show it another way here.
1: When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe, for joy... Well, at
0: least they were feeling happier in their disbelief now. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? Hmm. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate in their presence. So
0: it seems like the first thing he had to show them was, Look, I'm eating food. Here's my hand. You know, just need the first thing he needed to show them was that He was resurrected with his whole body, and he still had his body and all that. Go on. Then what was the second thing?
1: Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. In the law of Moses. And the prophets. And the prophets. And the Psalms. Let's throw in the Psalms. Concerning me. Yes,
0: the Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms are entirely about Jesus. Where in the Old Testament does it talk about Jesus? And then what does he do?
1: And he opened their understanding ah. that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Well,
0: there's more opening, isn't it? He opened their understanding so that they could comprehend. Now, these people knew the Scriptures well. Everybody was pretty much bathed in it from childhood at that time. They knew they knew what was in the Scriptures, and yet they had not understood it. And when he opened their understanding, then they understood the, the Scriptures and, uh, and, and he, said, he goes on to say, Thus it is written, and so it behooved the Christ to suffer and arise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So the only two things he tells them are, basically, I have a body. Let me show you. Let me demonstrate. I'll eat. And I have a body, even though I just magically appeared in the room in front of you without walking through a door or anything. I have a body. I'm not a, just a spirit or something. I have physical flesh and bones and everything. And the whole Old Testament is all about me. Have a nice life. You know, that's, that's his message to them. So that seems like a really, really important message. And a very fundamental, you know, this is what I mean. Like, we sort of think, well, why, why weren't we told that there was information about Jesus? Well, we, I don't know how you could get it clearer than that. It says the whole Old Testament, everything in the five books of Moses, everything in the prophets, everything in the Psalms, all the scriptures are about Jesus. But to understand it, you have to have your mind opened or the scriptures have to be open. It seems like the same thing. In other words, it has to be taken up to a higher level. It doesn't just... uh, you know, just happened just because you read it. There are people who know it very well who don't see it that way. Let's go to John, very next to thing, John chapter 1. Now this is starting the story over again, you know, in another gospel. And Philip, look at verse 45 there. Philip, in chapter 1.
1: Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph.
0: Well, now wait a minute. Philip was up on this right at the beginning of the Lord's ministry. Mm -hmm. First thing he said to Nathanael to call him was, hey, we found the one that's talked about in in Moses and the prophets. We found that that person, like he seemed to know very well that the Old Testament was about the coming Messiah and everything. And he said, hey, we found him. Um. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> let's see. Let's go to the right. Let's go to the Acts. Okay, go out into the Acts. Hmm, chapter 17. Let's go to chapter 17. So this is about <clears throat> Paul's ministry. Some people like to drive a wedge between the Gospels and the Epistles and they listen more to the Epistles than they do the Gospels, so let's look at the Epistles and see what's being said in there. Have a look at verses 2 and 3 in Acts chapter 17, what do we read there?
1: Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures.
0: He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, okay, so he's proselytizing the Christianity and he reasons with them out of the, what scriptures are those? It's not the New Testament. It doesn't exist yet. He's reasoning to them out of the Old Testament, out of the Hebrew scriptures. He's reasoning with them out of the scriptures. And what is he doing?
1: Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ.
0: Wow. So he went, it took him three Sabbaths to go in there. And pound the old, and show you all the things in the Old Testament that were all about how there was going to be a Jesus that he was going to suffer he was going to rise again from the dead and he could demonstrate the whole thing to you even though he never met Jesus in the flesh you know I mean when he was in the flesh he, he met the, the spirit of Jesus on the road to Damascus but he wasn't a disciple he didn't follow him around for three years like the others did and yet he knows exactly how to argue the case for Christianity out of the Old Testament. The whole thing is about Jesus and what he was going to go through. Okay, fascinating. Let's go to chapter 18. Uh, this is Paul again. What is he doing in verse 28 there? 28.
1: For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ.
0: Got to be the Old Testament. There wasn't anything else written down yet. He's got to be arguing from the Old Testament Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Huh. So Paul is teaching that too. Let's look at Acts chapter 26. This is Paul talking about his own ministry. Let's look at verses 22 to 23 there.
1: Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come.
0: You see what I mean? Paul was being accused of, oh, you've gone off the rails, you're a heretic, you're preaching some strange foreign doctrine. We well, don't want to hear it. And he's saying, no, my whole life I've done nothing but preach exactly straight down the middle of the road what the prophets and the Moses said. Moses said was going to happen. That's what he said. And what, what was that specifically, verse 23?
1: That the Christ would suffer, that He would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles.
0: Okay. So somehow Paul figured out that the whole Old Testament was about Jesus' story. Now, so you see what I'm driving at? There are people who think, well, there's nothing in the Old Testament about Jesus. There's, a, uh, there's, there's quite a few Christians who would just as soon like to chuck the Old Testament if it, if it wasn't sort of a profane or blasphemous thing to do. I mean, they really think, well, that's the old law, that's not grace, uh, you know, that's that old teaching, that old angry Jehovah and everything. Don't listen to that. Uh, you know, Jesus came and set us straight on all that. You don't, you don't have to listen to that. And yet, what the literal sense of this book is saying is that the literal earlier part of the same book is about nothing but Jesus and his life and his death what the whole thing is all about. Fascinating. Acts chapter 28. Let's look at chapter 23. Uh, Chapter 28, verse 23. I'm sorry. This is still Paul, I believe.
1: So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God Persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening.
0: Well, there it's specified. Like before it just said sort of vaguely scriptures or what. But here it's very specific. It's the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. You want to hear me talk about this, says Paul? Let's get, get comfortable because we're going to be going for a while. And he can tell you all about how that was the story of Jesus. The Old Testament is the story of Jesus fascinating. How did we miss this? Maybe it was behind one of the goats or something. I don't know. How did we miss this? Okay, let's go look at um, 1 Corinthians. What do you say? Should we do Corinthians? Let's go through Romans and let's get to 1 Corinthians. (laughs) Chapter 10. This is Paul's account. He's describing a particular story about the Old Testament about the wandering in the wilderness. And I don't know if you remember this story, good friends, or whether you know this story, but there's a story about how they were the children of Israel had gotten out of Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness, they were terribly thirsty, and Moses took them to a rock, and he struck the walk, rock and water came out, and they all drank from the water. Here's how Paul discusses that story here at the beginning of chapter ten in First Corinthians.
1: Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea.
0: I don't remember any baptism in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. I don't remember that. I don't remember baptisms. baptism. Isn't that interesting? Paul is saying what the children of Israel went through was a baptism. Interesting. Okay, go on.
1: All ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink.
0: Well, what was that? What was the spiritual drink? What did they drink? What was that spiritual drink?
1: For they drank of that spiritual rock... ...that followed them.
0: What? There was a spiritual rock?
1: And that rock was Christ.
0: Christ was following them through the... I don't remember that part of Moses, talking about Christ following... I remember something about a pillar cloud, you know, uh, by day and fire, by night and all that. And yet they drank. Isn't he kind of reading the Old Testament in sort of a spiritual way? Like as if it had correspondences in it or something? He's saying that this rock that they drank from was something spiritual that was following them around. It wasn't just like a fixed rock. They were drinking from this rock that was following them around. And in case anybody didn't get it, he spells it out pretty clearly. That rock, by the way, was Christ. How could he say that? That's amazing. That's really, really amazing. Well, that's the way Paul reads the Old Testament. Hmm. Let's go to Let's do another Corinthians. Should we do the second Corinthians? Let's go to second Corinthians chapter three. Oh, man. Okay. Now, Paul, who is a Jew, he describes himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was very interesting because he knew Hebrew. He knew Greek and he knew Latin. He was a Roman citizen and everything. And uh, this gave him a great sort of International access and stuff that that others didn't have. So he's very useful in spreading Christianity. And so he, as uh, having grown up a Jew, a Pharisee himself, I think he says he's of the tribe of Benjamin. And so here he is talking about the Old Testament and the way that Jewish people read the Old Testament. So, what does he say? You remember there's a story where Moses goes up on the mountain, he gets the Ten Commandments, and when he comes down, his face is shining, so he has to actually wear a veil while he's interacting with people because his face is shining so much. And so uh, we always have to jump in the middle of a sentence in Paul because he's he's one sentence 38,000 miles long. Let's look at 3, verse 12 there.
1: Therefore, beginning of a sentence, since we have such... (laughs) Since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. I see. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away.
0: Okay, so how did they view Scripture?
1: But their minds were blinded. Hmm. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament.
0: Wow, now wait a minute. You're saying that when Jewish people read the Old Testament, like what veil? He's not talking about a physical veil, right? He says the same veil over Moses is still there. It's still not taken away in the way that these people read the Old Testament. How could you say that? The people scrutinize, they've counted every single letter they know, they can tell you which is the middle letter in the Hebrew scripture. That's the middle letter. They've counted all the letters. Uh, they know it backwards and forwards in the original language. How can you say there's a veil in their reading of the Old Testament? What do you mean?
1: Mm. Uh, because the veil is taken away in Christ.
0: Oh, go on.
1: But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart.
0: Wow. So isn't he saying that it doesn't matter how many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people read the Old Testament, if they don't understand it's about Christ, you're not getting it. You've got a veil. Moses is inside there somewhere, but you've got a veil and you can't see what it's really all about. Could you get something clearer than that? Look at what he's saying. And then what does he say in verse 16?
1: Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away.
0: Wow. If you turn to the Lord when you're reading this material, then the veil, isn't that the same thing that happened on the road to Emmaus, that the scriptures were opened up? He opened up their understanding or he opened up the scriptures so they could see that it was all about the Lord. Wow. Okay. Thank you, Paul. You've taught that to us in several different ways here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And let's go to, if you keep going towards the book of Revelation to the right and go through Hebrews, you'll go through James and then you get to 1 Peter. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, 1
1: Peter, hold on. Keep going, keep going. There There you go. 1
0: Peter 1.
1: It's after, after Timothy. Hebrews. Keep
0: going to the right. Mm-hmm.
1: First, First Peter, Peter 1. chapter
0: 1 verse 10. Let's start there.
1: Of this salvation the <laughs> prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. What? To them it was revealed (laughs) that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Wow.
0: Now that is a mouthful, I'll admit. We'll read it a couple of times, but... but. This is information that angels love. You know, Emanuel Swedenborg wrote books called Secrets of Heaven, and in which he was revealing what in the Old Testament, specifically in Genesis and Exodus, is all about the Lord. You know, what, what exactly is it? How does that work? What language is that written in? These are things that angels desire to look into. Wow, so it seems like that would be worth knowing about. So let's read that again, shall we, dear reader? The whole thing, yes. Yeah, why not?
1: Of this so he's been talking
0: about, so you receive in verse 9 the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So this is talking about salvation. And of that salvation, so who talked about that salvation?
1: Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully.
0: Yeah, the prophets. The Old Testament, you know, that's who the prophets were. They were the Old Testament prophets. They looked into this matter of salvation.
1: Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you.
0: They prophesied. So where... So the the Old Testament prophets prophesied the grace that was coming, right?
1: Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating.
0: Wow! So you're saying that the Old Testament prophets were inspired by the Spirit of Christ? Wow! Okay.
1: When he testified beforehand The sufferings of Christ. Wow, so the
0: Old Testament prophets said there's going to be this Christ, He's going to suffer, and they had the Spirit of Christ with them, inspiring them in what they wrote, because it was all about the Lord. And not just that He would suffer, but that there was glory. didn't say ought not the Christ to suffer and enter into His glory. Isn't it called a glorification? That there was this glory, testify beforehand, isn't that what Easter is all about? The sufferings of Christ... And the glory that would follow. Go on.
1: To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you. Yes
0: okay let's take that much at a time. Uh, So it was revealed to them that this message was not coming to them for their own sake, not for their own edification. They weren't going to get to see Jesus in the flesh. Oh,
1: it was real to the prophets.
0: To the prophets.
1: Not to themselves. It it was a
0: revealed, you know, but it it wasn't a message for themselves. It was for people who had yet to come, who are referred to as us. Mm -hmm. Here's Peter. He's an apostle writing about, you know, the Lord. And he said, it's not for themselves, but for us. They ministered these things that are now reported and... Through
1: those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Yes. So Mm -hmm. what
0: you're being preached, what you're being told here in the Christian message is something that angels love and they want to know more about. Uh, You know, it's something that excites the heavens. Mm -hmm. So that's a mouthful, but doesn't it say the same kind of thing, that these prophets were in on the whole thing, in fact, it's the clearest passage of any of that we've read from the standpoint that their inspiration actually came from Christ Himself. And went, how, did, how did that work? It's amazing. That He was there and He showed them stuff that was going to happen, but it was going to be later. You know, I behold Him, but not now, you know, and all that, their Shokama scepter and all that prophecies that are going to happen in the future. Okay, very good. Isn't that uh, tremendous fun? Okay, so I think we'll stop with all that, but that's, those are some passages in the New Testament that come to mind. There were quite a few of them, if memory serves. I think we just went through a few different passages, some in the Gospels, some in the Acts, some in the Epistles of Paul, some in the Epistles of Peter, you know, and they're all singing the same song, that the Old Testament is all about Jesus. Well... Wow it seems easier to to read a scratching on an ancient cave wall than to understand how the Old Testament is about Jesus and, and that truly good friends is a is a topic of a constant pursuit of this Bible study is to try to see what is of the Lord in, in that in the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, So let's think about this a little bit first of all, um, Think about these different stories. Now, I just want to paint with a broad brush here, but um, uh, there are all these interesting stories. There, There is that story of Isaac being sacrificed, and yet the weird thing is, if you try to make it come out to be the crucifixion, it's the ram that died. Like how, you know, Isaac got off. So what, what, what is that? How, how was that a prefiguring of, of the uh, Of the crucifixion, that doesn't quite make sense. And you have that story back in Leviticus about the scapegoat. But the thing is that the scapegoat is the one that gets away, and then there's another goat that gets killed. You know, it it doesn't. It doesn't quite fit. You know, how how does that work? Um, You have a lot of. Stories, it's very intriguing that there's a story of Abraham and he really, really wants to have an heir. He's been promised that he'll have an heir and that he will have, you know, more descendants than the dust or the sand or the stars, as we've been talking about in previous Bible studies. Uh, But he did get this son by his handmaid, Hagar, whose name was Ishmael. And we're told a specific story about what happened with Ishmael. When he was 13, it's just interesting. We know about Jesus' life when he was below the age of two. We know when he's 12. Here's a story about a 13-year-old, and, and it's just interesting. But what does that have to do with Jesus' life? Do we learn something from that story about that? If, if some of you who have been around here for a while may remember a series we did on Joseph in prison. Uh, that the whole story of jo- Joseph is a figure. every you know, it's safe to say. Everybody and everything in the Old Testament has something to do with Jesus. That's the whole point. And so Joseph is certainly sort of a a prefiguring of Jesus. He's in prison for a long time. I think that imprisonment uh, corresponds to the part where where Jesus from 13 to 30 years old, he was in this kind of psychological prison, uh, unfairly, but he was just in torment. And yet all of a sudden one day, Joseph rises out of prison and becomes the most powerful person in the land to me That's a picture of how Jesus's life. He he, you know We don't see between 12 and 30 all of a sudden boom he comes on the stage, but is the details? Captured in some way psychologically in what Joseph went through in his uh, imprisonment Uh, Some of you may have heard me talk in the past about the fascinating figure Samson. You remember this guy? He's sort of like Hercules in the Greek mythology. He's very strong a little bit dim and he gets himself in a lot of trouble and he loves the wrong people you know and uh, and his hair is powerful for some reason you know he's just enormously powerful well this is a picture of Jesus's outer self and it's an amazing picture to describe for Jesus to describe himself as this wild man I mean he was crazy and he was loving the, the Philistines and kept getting in these bad situations. He's fighting with all these people. It's an amazing depiction that that was it. You see this meek, wonderful, wise teacher of Jesus. Where's the Samson in that? But Samson's tearing the gates off the city, you know, dragging him up to the top of the hill. He's just a monster setting fire to the fields, tying the foxes' tails together, set them on fire. This is what he was doing to the hells. You know, Samson, the power of Samson... It's a story about the Lord, just one aspect of the Lord, that wandering in the wilderness when they weren't ready to go in yet. You know, the children of Israel left Egypt, and they they got a shot. They got a shot to go into the Holy Land, but only two people thought it was a good idea. Everybody else thought it was a terrible idea. (laughs) And so they all voted to go a different way, and they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. Well, does that mean that there were parts of Jesus... That were not ready to, you know, not ready for the to go into the Holy Land, you know, weren't weren't ready yet. So part of him was ready. There were two parts, Caleb and Joshua, that were ready, but all the other parts were like, mm, I don't know. And he had to shed all those. They were all going to die in the wilderness because they weren't, they weren't, they couldn't make it in, you know, they couldn't handle it. Is that a picture of parts of Jesus that couldn't handle what was going on yet? And they needed to be processed and worked out. And so there was a stronger group that went into the Holy Land when it all happened. Now, uh, I want to show you a map of the Holy Land here, if I have one here. Very, very quick, crude map. This would be the water over to the left. For those of you who are just getting the audio, it's just just a simple map of the Holy Land. And it's got sort of a line of mountains down the middle and that Jordan River. And then Jerusalem is just to the left, fairly far down here. Well, um... Uh, it's very interesting to see in the Old Testament how what David did when David became king. David started out, there was Saul was king. And Saul was great at first and then he kind of lost his mind and he was crazy and he was trying to kill David and everything. And David was just coming up and David was so good. He's such a good person at that point. It's just a wonderful picture. And it, literally it's like a kid's cartoon. They're chasing each other around the mountains and and hiding in a cave and going in there and, and all this. And uh, one of the things that, that David did, there was a northern kingdom by this point. Let's take a green marker and just sort of draw a rough, you know, I don't know exactly where it is, but a, a line. Uh, there was a northern part of the kingdom. And there was a southern part of the kingdom. And Jerusalem was right smack on the cusp between the two. And David was, first of all, king of Judah. And he was king of Judah for, I think, seven and a half years. And then he became, and his capital was at Hebron. And then he became king of the north and the south and moved into Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was full of enemies at that time. And the way that they hacked their way in, Jerusalem was so powerful. It was up on a hill, surrounded by walls. There was no way to get in. There was no way you're ever going to get in. They actually taunted him from the walls, if memory serves, saying, "We've got our, we've got cripples and, you know, standing guard because uh, we don't need to, you know, it's not going to be strenuous to keep you out of here. There's no way you're ever going to get in here." Do you remember how he got in? There was a water shaft. There was a spring of water, and he crawled. He got got one of his guys, Joab, to crawl up the water shaft and go into the center, and he was able to take over Jerusalem and conquer it. Now, this, see, part of what I'm driving at, I'll I'll get back to that in a second. Um, But uh, the whole Old Testament, you remember the tabernacle, that picture of the tabernacle. It's got three areas to the Holy of Holies, and then the Holy Place, and then the outer court. All these things are pictures of what, what Jesus was going through, exactly how that thing was constructed, how the Ten Commandments were held, handed down. The story that it tells when you start to see inside it is so dramatic. Like the Old Testament is very dramatic. Like a lot of people die, a lot of crazy stuff goes down. Uh, this is the drama that was going on in the young Jesus with different parts warring with each other. And what I hope to do now, and I pray for... Even more inspiration than I usually have to talk about this, but uh, this Holy Land itself is a map of Jesus' mind, which is the same as any human mind, but but his was extraordinary because he had a divine soul and everything. But basically, the Northern Kingdom, let's see, the Northern Kingdom means what I'll call the mind. The southern kingdom means the heart. Isn't it interesting that David was first, I think if I have this right, he was first in charge of the heart. Like the heart was working well, but then he needed to conquer the mind and bring, bring the whole kingdom together and move his capital to Jerusalem right smack on the cusp between the heart and the mind. You know, like feeling and thinking and all, all that stuff. Right smack there. Now, another thing is that this whole thing uh, to the west of the Jordan corresponds to, let's see, uh, we'll call it the interiors. Okay, so this is the deep part of the self, this whole thing. And to, on the other side of the Jordan is what you might call the exteriors. Um So, all these areas over here on the far side of the Jordan was the outside of Jesus. You know, this was Jesus' outer self. And then this was Jesus' inner self. When he came into his inner, you know, they're wandering down in the wilderness here. Egypt corresponds to knowledge and learning and sort of study and that kind of thing. So he was down there. They were down there for a long time, but became imprisoned there and then wandered through the wilderness and come up here. And they came into the Holy Land through this area, this area to the east of the Jordan. They came through the exterior part of the self and then crossed over into the interior. When they crossed over into the interior, the children of Israel, it was all full of enemies. At least eight, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, and the Amorites. and All these enemies were in here. And particularly, even after the children of Israel had settled a lot of the land, Jerusalem itself was one of the longest holdouts. It was like the last place to be conquered. All the rest of it had been taken over by the children of Israel, but this central spot still had enemies in it. And that's David had to go right into the heart of it. See what I'm driving at? So it's like this psychological journey of Jesus. It goes from knowledge. He comes through the outer self. And you remember, as he tried to come through here, let's, um, let's talk about uh, Ammon. You got your Ammonites over here, and you got your Moabites down here. And uh, they get talked about endlessly. In the old, have you read the Old Testament? Fascinating book. Uh, it talks endlessly about the sons of Ammon and the Moabites, and it's just on and on and on forever and ever and ever. Edom's a little farther down here. And it's talking endlessly about these and the king of them. And the, when the children of Israel come through, they try to get passage through there. And they're not allowed to, you know, they're, they're, they're blocked. They, they won't let them through. So they actually have to kill these the king of the Ammonites, the king of the Moabites. And then they can get through and come in here. So this is Ammon, I wrote in blue because it has to do with truth and falsity. or the, So this is like your outer intellect. This is just junky thinking. If you really study your Bible hard, you will see, actually, you will actually get to witness. It's not even the central story by any means of the Old Testament. And yet in the Old Testament, you will see that Moab and Ammon, they're descendants of Lot, who was Abram's nephew. And they both start out good. They're good. But they go downhill. So there's a little subplot in the Bible of how Ammon goes south and Moab goes south and they become really really terrible but there was a time when they were good. And there are prophecies in the Old Testament about how you know, great things are going to happen. It keeps saying also that Jesus is going to come by way of Mount Paran, which is over here, uh, that, that this is the direction Jesus is going to come in when He comes into this world. There's all these prophecies that will come through here and get into the land. So if you think about this as being the exterior, this, this is gross oversimplification. But uh, if you think about this as being the outer self, and then you cross over into the inner self, and then you have to get these two things to work together. After a while, they split up. They split again into two kingdoms. They have separate kings, one king in the north, one king in the south, and all that. And they get captured at different times. You know, the, the, the one set gets hauled off into captivity, these get ca- hauled off by the... Assyrians, and that's very meaningful, that has to do with rationalizations, and this lot gets carried off by the Babylonians, and that has to do with love of power and dominion and so on. Um, All all I'm trying to say, good friends, is that uh, the whole map, every single thing that happens in there is so pregnant with information about Jesus and what he was going through. It's an inexhaustible treasure we're only down to our last 6 billion copies of the Bible, so hopefully it'll hold out, you know. But there's, there's such an abundance of information in there, just an inexhaustible treasure, and it's right in front of us, and the book literally says, not once or twice, but 10 or 20 times, by the way, that whole thing you just read at the beginning there is entirely about Christ. Now the question is, you know, how do you, how do you understand it? It says in the epistles about rightly dividing the word of truth. How, how do you tell what it's about. And this is where Swedenborg comes in. So very helpful, doesn't he? Um, Swedenborg is actually able to tell you some of these things. Now, you may find it in the old translation, so on, dry as dust, and you're just like, oh, there's another Ammonite, and this means the falsity of the exteriors, and that's another Moabite, which means the adulteration of goods in the the form of those, you know, whatever. Uh, But, you piece it together, it starts to get very exciting, because you start to get a picture Of what was going on inside Jesus and this is also a picture of how we're transformed but that story is almost just like uh, a booby prize given to those who just can't get all the way into those things that angels desire to know you know that's fine sure we'll also talk about your regeneration your rebirth Right, right 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 that's great but the most powerful stuff in there is what Jesus went through how he his outer self went from uh, just being a normal kid to becoming God and his whole body disappearing from the tomb. Well, that whole thing is written in here in incredible psychological depth and detail, but you 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 have to sort of know what's going on. Another little point is that these mountains, there's a whole sort of rib of mountains all the way down here. There are also mountains in Ammon and Moab. The mountains have to do with the deepest parts of the interiors, so even within he- here is sort of like a religious part of yourself or something. It's a deep part of yourself. This is kind of a worldly part. Isn't it interesting that when the 12 tribes went in, there were two and a half tribes that stayed out here? You know, it's just fascinating. So there was two tribes that stayed out here, and then there was a half tribe of Manasseh. Half stayed out here and a half went in there. Fascinating. What's that all about? And, uh, and this sloped down. So this was very high land here just to the west of the Jordan River. And that's where Jerusalem, you know, it's has on a great height. Uh, and then it slopes down out towards the coast. And out here by the coast, you get the uh, Philistines. And the Philistines mean people who are in faith alone. They're people who sort of have the, they have religion and stuff, but they have a very pale external version of it. You know, so they're, they're in the land, but they're not in the mountains. They're way down by the water because uh, that's a, a most external sort of deteriorated form. Isn't it fascinating then that what Samson just couldn't resist was going down to the Philistines? He was just always trying to go, oh, he just wanted to marry a Philistine. And when it didn't work out with one, he tried with another one. Oh, I just love the Philistines. Just can't keep away from it. Just love the Philistine. The Lord wanted to rescue these people, people who were supposedly religious, but all the soul, all the juice had been sucked out of it a long time ago. They just had some hollow form of religion, you know, all the way down down by the sea, which sometimes corresponds to the hells. It has different meanings in different settings but but uh, that's what the Philistines were there. Uh, so and the prophets, who were the prophets? Well the prophets are like divine truth, you know, they're like the word, the little, little seeds, the sower goes forth to sow. And, and uh, so you get the prophets who come and tell you the truth. Uh, they, they say what's going on and what's going to be in the future and everything. And so they're a picture of like this light that comes into this, even though there's this wild, unruly uh, mob in here. Part of the group that comes through the wilderness is this mixed multitude. They, they aren't even part of the children of is Israel. They're just sort of, oh, I, I thought we were leaving. I thought we were just going to the store or something. They all come along. And, and uh, amazing to think that all that was part of the Lord. You know, he had all that in himself and needed to get the whole thing into order and, and set everything properly. And all those enemies are different kinds of thoughts and feelings that come from an evil or a dark place or they're false, you know, their lies about yourself or whatever and even Ammon and Moab as they go downhill They mean false things Ammon being something of truth, but it's twisted upside down and Moab. So these are people who have Something but it's totally external It's similar to the Philistines, but it's in on, on this side um, So uh, the whole Old Testament is this huge psychodrama, if you see it in this way. And you start, and Swedenborg gives you little clues. But boy, I'll tell you, friends. First of all, it's not just a dead easy read, is it, Swedenborg? You know, even in those wonderful new translations. I don't know who does them. They're so great, but it's not just sort of an easy breezy read. And um, and he says a number of times, I'm not giving you. I, I'm. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm giving you the building blocks, you need to, some assembly required, you know, it should say that on the copy of every volume of Swedenborg, some assembly required, so even though he says a ton of things, it still is just in a form that you have to, he says, look, I've told you what the individual pieces mean, you need to, you know, I can't do it for you, you put it together, you get a three-dimensional picture of what I'm talking about, and try to hold that Bible story in your mind, which is hard to do sometimes where you're bouncing back and forth between the inner meaning and the, and the literal meaning and everything. But it's an astounding system, and we haven't begun to scratch the surface of it. You know, and, and it's great. I, I'm very excited about the archaeological digs and all the reading of the papyrus and all that other kinds of that. That's great. But it's even more exciting. This just in... The Old Testament is actually about Jesus, and it's entirely about him. It's not just about his crucifixion, uh, or in a sense, his crucifixion went on his whole life. I was thinking recently, not only does Paul say, I die daily, which shows that that's a process, but he also says, we are killed all day long. It's not just once a day. It's all day long. So that's that's nice. So when it talks about the Lord's crucifixion, it's really talking about that whole thing He went through in His life and all the challenges that were going on, especially from 13 to 30 years old and continued uh, to His death on the cross and resurrection. Uh, And that's a picture of what we go through in our own humble little stumbling way if we want to be reformed and regenerated by the Lord. All that is in there in an inexhaustible depth. Let me read one last scripture tonight, if you will, good friends. Let's turn to the back of the Bible, to the book of Revelation. And I want to read a verse we don't always read. We read it once in Bible study, I think, years ago. But uh, I want to read the opening phrase of the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say that is, book of Revelation? What is that?
1: The Revelation of Jesus Christ.
0: Thank you. That's what that is. In fact, that's what the whole Bible is. It is, though it's not just a revelation by Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. This whole book is the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he went through when he was in this world. So uh, my hat's off to all the people who are going through ancient dump sites. Keep scouring, keep looking at every little upside down letter and a, a palimpsest of an ancient scratched out manuscript or something. But let's start investing a little more time, shall we, friends? Bring some of that tremendous passion that the whole world feels about Jesus and start reading the Old Testament more intelligently and seeing the Lord this just in the whole Old Testament has information about what he was going through, his psychology. Stuff you'll never get from an ancient dump site. The, his, the, the interior psychology and exactly what the process was that he followed. I'm telling you, angels desire to know these things because they don't know them all down pat. You know, we're all just working on it. But it's the most exciting field of discovery. So, in closing, people scour caves and ancient dump sites and pour over fragments of papyrus hoping to find any little hint of a clue about the life of Jesus. Most are unaware that seen in the right light, the Old Testament sitting right there in over 6 billion Bibles in 2,500 different languages is full of untapped information about Jesus. Thank you for your kind attention. Shall we close with a prayer? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bowing the heavens and coming down into this world, for living out every detail of the Old Testament, for fulfilling everything of the Word even to the point where your entire physical body was resurrected from the tomb as you showed your disciples. Two things you showed them, that you rose with your whole body and that the Old Testament is about nothing but you. Help us understand those lessons, Lord God, this Easter. Help us understand what they mean for us in our lives. And we pray for your presence as we read your word. Open it. Open your scriptures to us. Open our understanding so that like the disciples who were sitting there at the table with you that we might recognize, oh, that's you. Our Our Father, Father, who who art art in the heavens, heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy Thy kingdom kingdom come, thy Thy will be done, as as in heaven so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. We might turn into deeper readers.